Okay, can you hear me? Is this thing on? What's that? Okay, well, as, uh, as Joya said in the beginning, welcome to the new people, new faces in our crowd. Um, we're so glad you're here, um, and welcome to Lawandes, to the Lawandes. Welcome back. Um, so for the new faces, um, our director of the House of Prayer, sorry, I have a tic-tac in my mouth. Um, our director of the House of Prayer <laughs> um, and his wife are out of town. So um, we are not, I'm not typically the one that's giving the message. Um, but you're very good. Oh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking about your last message this morning. Were you really? I taught on Sabbath the last time I taught. Um, so yeah, I'm not typically the one that's up here, but um, but um, I am on leadership team. I'm Jill. Um, hi, hi everybody. So um, this morning I'm actually going to I'm gonna chew my tic tac. I'm going to bring you into something that um, I wasn't planning on sharing with anybody, really. It came out of, it was something that came out of a retreat with the Lord that I took in June. And um, just going through my own stuff, working through it with him. And, um, and then I shared it with some friends. And one of them said, hey, would you want to share that on Sunday? And I said, sure. <laughs> Yes. Um, but what's really cool is next week my mom is going to teach. So make sure you're here. She's going to teach for the first time. Um, and, and we're kind of teaching on like Old Testament stories that we know really well, but like do we, how well do we know them kind of thing. And so that was, that's what we're going to dive into. So you might have noticed there are no notes up on the website. Um, hopefully you brought your Bible or you brought... David's already going like a gun. He's like, I got it. Or maybe you brought your phone and you have a Bible on your phone. Turn to Exodus 14. We're going to chill in Exodus 14. Are you recording it for your wife? Okay. Um, so Exodus 14 is, um, as you're getting there, I'm going to just kind of set the scene for where we're at. Guys, I'm so excited that I have a little pill. Blow it up. I'm going to... I'm an animated talker, and I usually have a handheld. Blow it up. There, that better. Exodus 14. So while you guys are getting there, I'm going to set the scene a little bit. So where we're at is the Israelites have left Egypt. They, Pharaoh has basically shown them the door. He's like, please get out. Please go. You have made, you and your God have made my life quite literally hell. Um, and so he wants them out. Um, and so that's, so they're walking now. But I really quickly, I know you guys just turned to 14. You don't have to go with me, but I really quickly just want to read something that I kind of want you to keep in mind um, as we go through this. Um, in Exodus chapter 6, uh, Moses has just had his first conversation with Pharaoh uh, after the first, uh, no, just his first conversation with Pharaoh, and it's gone poorly. It's gone so miserably that he goes back to the Lord, and he's like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to your people? What is going on? And from verse 5 in Exodus chapter 6, um, there's something that pertains to, to what I'm about to walk us through. And so God's reassurance to Moses and ultimately to his people is this. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am your Lord. So with that, we're going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Um, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for this amazing worship that you, you were totally in this morning. Um, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and what you're stirring. So we just ask, um, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this message. Um, would you reveal to each of us, including myself, the heart of the Father through these words? Um, we love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the part specifically in Exodus 6 that I want you to kind of just keep in mind in the back of your head as we're going through this is God promises Moses, he says, I will rescue you from out of their bondage. And that word rescue in the Hebrew means to rid of or plunder. And plunder, we know, means there is nothing left behind. When a nation plunders another nation, they take all of it. Um, and so just keep that in mind as we're, as we're talking about this, as we go through uh, chapter 14. So chapter 14 starts with, the first few verses start with God, the children of Israel are walking in the wilderness, and God taps on Moses' Moses' heart and says, hey, I want you to turn in a different direction. I want you to turn in this particular specific direction, and I want you to go and set up camp by the sea. Um, it's in a direction of a bunch of Hebrew words that I cannot pronounce, so I'm not going to try, but you can read it in your Bible. Um, so, so Moses and the children of Israel go in that direction. They turn, they stop, and they camp by the sea. Um, and then the Lord explains why, why he's doing that, why he's having them do that, or he's giving them kind of the order of events. And picking up in verse 3, we'll read in Exodus 14. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So again, they did so. So that means Moses said, hey, guys, I know we're going this way, but we're going to go this way. We're going to set up camp get comfy, something's going to happen, okay? The really interesting thing here is that Pharaoh has just gone through all of this stuff, right? Like all the 10 plagues, lost his son, all these awful things. And again, he basically showed them a door. He was begging them, please get out. But now he's going, well, they're in the desert and they're probably confused and weak and discouraged and tired and hopeless, let's go get him back. And God hardened his heart. And I feel like within the context of the story, the hardening of the heart was not so much the thought, it was the actual thought to go and pursue. So it wasn't that he was like, man, they're, they're confused. Like that wasn't, the hardening of the heart was, now I'm going to go get them. Like with this vengeance of like fury, I'm going to go get them back. Because what, what Pharaoh ends up doing in the next few verses, that I'm, I'm not going to read, but what he ends up doing is he, he himself arms up for battle, and he sends out 600 of his best, his best horses, his best chariots, his best men. He sends out 600 of them. So he's, he's not messing around. This is like, I want these people back. And so I think that's the hardening of heart that happens for Pharaoh. So that's, that's the scene, that's kind of where we're at. And from this point on, we're gonna really like dive into the story. This is kind of where we're landing the plane, um, so to speak. So picking up again, Israelites camping, Pharaoh's coming after them, we're picking up at verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. 
So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die, than that we should die in the wilderness. There is something about our past catching up with us, about things from our past catching up with us that brings out the ugly and brings out like past things, right? We start acting. Think about it. These people just saw these like crazy wonders, 10 crazy wonders to, to help bring them out of the place that they were in. And we don't know how far removed we are, they are from that place, but still, they saw these amazing things. But now they're faced with looking back and hearing the chariots and the horses, and they're going, we told you to keep us there. We told you to leave us alone, which they did. But again, going back to Exodus chapter 6, we know God says, I also heard the cry of my people. So maybe they were telling Moses, like, leave us alone. We're good. It's all good. But they were telling God another story. And so God's dealing with that right now in them. But I want to, this, is, this has happened to me a lot with the, with the Lord in my quiet time. I read something in scripture and I'm, I get so caught up in it. And I'm like, how could they, how could they? How could they be like scared or something? Like they just saw these amazing things. How could they? And then the Lord brings me back to reality and goes, yeah, but you're doing the same thing. I'm sitting up in this beautiful cabin retreat thing. And it's like everybody that comes to visit me tells me how peaceful it is. And I'm sitting there with like the worst anxiety I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm completely missing it because I'm stuck in past issues. I'm stuck in like past coming to get me. But I also, so my question becomes, well, how do we get there? How do we get into that place of forgetting what the Lord just brought us out of and is now walking us through to a promised land? How do we, how do we get into that place? How do we get to the place where where we're crying out to the Lord, oh, help us, save us, save us. And then to our leaders, we're going, told you to leave it alone. I told you I was good. And so I put myself into this scene. And so I, I want you to think about this. Put yourself into the scene. This isn't just a group of people the size of this room. This is an entire nation. This is thousands of people. Plus, they asked the Egyptians for stuff. They told, actually, they told them, give us your gold, give us different things. So they probably have livestock. They have gold, they have silver, they have these different things. They're not just like moving them and their bodies in like a backpack. Like these people have things. So you were going in one direction, the Lord told you to go into another direction and set up camp by the sea, and you're just chilling there, and then you hear the chariots, and you see the, the dust kicking up, right? Well, you have fathers, Husbands, mothers, wives, children. You have single people who just kind of care about their lives, right? So here are your options. This is what happens in a human mind. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one. Tell me if I'm the only one. Here's what happens in your human mind. So you see that thing coming at you. I'll turn this way. You see that thing coming at you. And the first thought could be, I'm going to fight. Like fight or flight, right? I'm going to fight. I'm going to pick up my sword, and I'm going to go. But they were slaves for the last 200 to 400 years. It's debatable on how long they were there. They were slaves. So they weren't like trained assassins. We're not talking about the army yet, right? So you can fight, but these are Pharaoh's best versus slaves who like just want to fight because we got to protect ourselves and our kids and our wives and blah, blah, blah. So that's one choice. The other choice is you can look to the right, to the left of you, and you can go, I'm going to just run because it's, again, the body of water is not a pond. It's not a lake. It's a massive sea. 
So you're not going to get around it. Like you're just going to walk in wilderness for miles and miles and miles and miles. That's your second option. Just scurry, just split up. You can turn to the sea and decide to swim, but I don't even think Michael Phelps is going to get across that. So remember, it's deep, it's wide, it's all the things. So you can swim, but also that means you'd have to leave your livestock and all of your things. You're, you're just swimming. And the final option that you have at this point to rationalize it out is get on your hands and knees and surrender and just go back to them. Go back to the slavery that you just left. Go back to that bondage. That's the options that they're facing at this point. Because there's no other way out. Try to think of one. There's nothing else they can do. So you kind of understand why they're freaking out and yelling at Moses. That there's nothing you can do. And so then Moses responds. And I love Moses' response. It's so good. So picking up at, at verse 13. Remember, the people are going crazy. There's thousands of thousands of thousands of people going nuts trying to figure out what to do best for their family. They're not thinking about anybody else but themselves, rightfully so. And Moses says to this, he looks out at the people and he says, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That's a great response. Isn't that great? So we're going to, I'm going to come back to verse 13 and the do not be afraid, stand still. That's important, but we're going to come back to that. I'm going to make a, a final point on that. But I want to talk specifically about that very interesting phrase. I don't know what, what translations you guys have. I have various different translations here, but, but New King James Version says, and you shall hold your peace. It's a very interesting phrase. You shall hold your peace. You shall take ownership of it. Um, and so, like I said, I, I, up at my retreat, I was like, wow, that's an interesting phrase. Okay. So I looked it up in different versions, and in the ESV version, it says you have only to be silent. So the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Um, NASB says the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent, which is interesting, while you keep silent. And NIV says you need only to be silent. So you shall hold your peace has a lot to do with just being quiet. So I looked up what that what that word, well, it turns out it's a single word in the Hebrew. So I looked up what that, that whole long phrase is a single word in Hebrew. And this is the definition. To scratch, to engrave or plow, to fabricate, to devise, to be silent, let alone to be deaf. Makes you kind of wonder Moses' word choice. Made me wonder Moses' word choice. I went, why did he use that? Um, and when I'm in my quiet time with the Lord, I pace. So I was pacing back and forth, and I was like, Lord, why? Why did he use that? That's such an interesting word, to engrave, to plow, to scratch, to fabricate. And so I'm just asking the Lord, and I'm pacing back and forth. And as I'm pacing, all of a sudden, this image pops into my head. And in my mind's eye, I could see myself standing at the edge of the ocean. And you know when the tide comes in and it goes back out and your feet go deeper and deeper as it goes. And you know how when that happens, it doesn't matter how hard the waves hit you. Like you're getting deeper and deeper, so you're not going to get like your knees knocked in and fall and then carried out to sea because you're buried now. You're planted into the, into the sand. So it doesn't matter how hard the waves come and hit you, you're staying still. It's not going to drag you back out. So that was one image. And then another image right after that one that came into, into my mind was me like drawing a line in the sand with my heel. Almost as like a, it wasn't. It was just literally me drawing a line in the sand with my heel. But the, the image that I got was kind of like a moat, what a moat is to a castle. And I think what Moses was saying with that word was, guys, we got to just stand. You just stop. 
just wait. I know that things look really bad right now, and I know that your options in your head are grim. But remember, Moses knows what's going to happen because he had a conversation with the Lord before they switched directions. And the Lord told him, I'm going to have gain honor. So all Moses knows at this point is today's not our day. I don't know what happens on the other side of this, but I know today is not the day that we die. This is not the day that we know failure. So we got to stay still. You got to fancying yourself a line in the sand. It's, it's firmly planting yourself in the promises of the Lord because the Israelites have tons of promises up to this point from the Lord on, what, on what's happening, on, on where they're going. They know they're going to a promised land. I, I read it in chapters, this, chapter 6, um, verse 6 through 8, 5 through 8. He says, I'm going to take you into the land that I swore. So Israel just needs to keep in mind they're going to a place. Again, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to take you out from under them. I'm going to redeem you. Those are the things that I'm sure Moses told them because God told them, say to the children of Israel, blah, 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 all of the things that I just said. So what Moses is doing is he's saying, stop, wait, remember who you are. There's this scene... Um, of a TV show. Uh, if you don't watch it, you should. Um, it's called This Is Us. Anybody who's watching it in the room, there you go. There's the reactions. There you know. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so this is us. So all I'm going to say is it's about a family. And in this particular scene, it's a dad and a son. And his son, Randall, has struggles with anxiety. And so there's this scene where he's, I think he's applying for colleges or something. He has to write an essay, and he is, he's losing it. He's, he's, kind, he's a perfectionist. He likes to have everything under control, and he's losing it. So he's pacing in his room, and he's just, he's, and he's crying. He's sobbing, and he's trying to calm himself down. And if, and if any of you struggle with anxiety, you know what this is like. You're just trying to, like, rationalize it out, even though nothing in your head feels rational. And so he's just pacing back and forth. And Jack, the dad, walks into the room. And Jack is like this, like, he's strong, but he has an ability to be tender. And so he walks into the room, and he grabs Randall by the shoulders. He goes, Randall, Randall. And he calms him down, and he gets him to stop. And then he puts his hand on his face, and he goes, you are OK. Just breathe. And he breathes with his son. And he just breathes until he's calmed down. And again, it's just this, this who you are. All Randall needed to be planted. You have to be grounded. You have to remember who you are. All Randall needed to know at that point is my dad's here. I'm his son. Okay. I'm his son. Okay. Breathe. And that's kind of, this is like this, 13 and 14 is like Moses' proverbial, like taking Israel's face and saying, you're okay. Breathe. Remember who you are. Just breathe. Calm down. Mind you, David, I shared this with David, and David asks me, does he know? Does, does Moses know what's about to happen? Like, has God told him, like, I'm going to split the sea in half? And no, he hasn't. Moses has no idea what's going to happen. All he knows is today's not our day. That's all he knows. But he doesn't know how it's going to happen, what it's going to look like. He doesn't know anything. So that's pretty amazing. But again, that's because Moses rooted himself in promises. And that's what he's leading Israel in. Um, so like I said, we'll, go, we'll circle back around to verse 13. I'm not leaving. I'm going to just leave 13 there. We'll address that later. So we're going to move on in the story. Because the Lord's response next to me is very interesting in the grand scheme of the story. It's really funny, um, but really good. So we're picking up at verse 15. Verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. 
So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Lord said, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. God is not angry. He's not annoyed. He's not rolling his eyes going, why are you crying again? You whiners. What are you doing? The really interesting thing about this statement, his question, is he's stressing to Moses the urgency of the moment they're in. It's urgent. Why are you crying? You got to go. It's time to go. It's time to move. They're, they're coming. And guess what? Because it's really interesting. Not only that, but he says he's going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they're going to follow them. So what he's saying is you've got to go because they're not slowing down, and I'm not going to stop them. They're going to follow you in. So you have a choice. You're either going to sit and try to figure out what's about to happen, and try to figure, yeah, you're going to try to figure out what's about to happen, or you're just going to go, because it's your only way out. This is, um, I'm going to go here, and I want you to hear, hear my heart and hear me out here, okay? Sometimes... We can pine over things in prayer. Sometimes intercession can be our pitfall. Again, I serve at a house of prayer. I'm not saying prayer is not important. And I'm not saying that prayer is, not a, is a bad thing. By all means, ever in your life, don't stop praying. Don't ever stop praying, ever in your life. There's not a time of day that you shouldn't be praying. What I'm saying is this, how you pray needs to shift and what you do needs to change. Sometimes we get so caught up in just sitting and asking all the questions because we can't wrap our heads around things. Because God says, I'm about to split this massive body of water in two, and you're going to walk on dry ground at the bottom of the ocean. You are going to walk on dry ground. And you could sit there. You could see why the children of Israel would go, what? You said, come again? And then ask all of the questions. If you're a rational thinker like me, I want to know, but how's it going to happen? How long do I have? How long do I have to walk through this massive body of water on the dry ground? What's going to happen on the other side? How are you going to do it, God? How are you going to make the way for me? And you sit at the, edge of the, at the edge of the thing, and Moses has lifted his hands, and you're still sitting there going, but how's it going to happen? It doesn't matter how it happened. It's open. Go. And that's what God is stressing, is you don't need to sit there and wait for it to make sense. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do doesn't make sense. So that's what I'm saying about sometimes we can get so caught up in needing to know. We want, if you're anything like me, and again, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir over here. I'm the one that does this. And if there's anybody out there like me that does this, where God tells me to do something, and I want to know all of my steps along the way. And so instead of just doing it, I sit there in my quiet place and pace and go, okay, but Lord, how are you going to do it? How are you going to make this happen? But like, mm, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. And he's saying, just go. Don't worry about it. That's my job. I'm going to figure that out. I'm going to make the way. You have to have faith. How many times do we sit and cry out for something to happen? But we never move from the spot that we're in. You just sit there. 
God, save me, God, save me, God, save me. My enemy's right behind me. Don't know if you can hear them, but they're coming closer. God, save me, God, save me, God, save me. You can have your eyes closed. You have no idea what's in front of you. And the fact that this thing that thousands of years later, scientists are going to call a freak of nature is right in front of you. So God in his goodness, God in his kindness, God in his father heart who wants to care for his children. And remember, that's what he's doing here. He's taking a group of people who have never known, a group of people that have only known slavery, that have only known being ruled over, being bound by fear and abuse, being mistreated, being mocked, being scoffed at. That's all they've ever known at this point. He's taking these people and he's saying, okay, we're going on this journey so that you can learn that I am Lord. I am master. I am father. He's shifting a mindset. So he's saying, hey, you can trust me. Faith, just walk, kids. You just got to move forward. And that's the beauty of that statement. Why do you cry out to me? He's never annoyed to hear your voice. He wants to hear your voice. But what he wants is for you to say, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Oh, there's, there's water. There's water. But that's okay. I am a child of God. That's your prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you're a good father. Thank you that you're so good. You're so good. I don't like that there's water around me, but you're still good. It's good. Doesn't make sense to me. You don't know when it's going to close. Please don't close right now. But it's still good. He's still moved. Okay? That's what he's saying. Isn't that great? Isn't that so much better than, like, thinking, you know, God just sitting up there like, oh, my gosh. Urgency. He's just urgency. So, verse 19. The story just gets better and better, guys. It gets so exciting. I hope that you're excited. I hope you're in this. Because it's really good. So verse 19. And the angel of God, that's Jesus, guys. Jesus, pre-flesh body. The angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from, from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it gave a cloud and darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all night. Okay. So we find out, first things first, we find out in verse 24 that I'm not going to read, but you can look at it yourself. We find out that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire are one thing. So they're not two separate things that, like, at nighttime the cloud goes away and then, then it's light. They're, they're one thing, okay? So what happens here is God has told them to go. Moses is, lifted up his, or is about to lift up his arms and rod, stretch out his arms, split, you know, God's about to split the sea. And what's taking place now is the thing, the angel of God, Jesus, that's in this pillar he's probably the pillar, has always gone before them on this journey. He's always been before them, in front of them, guiding the way. Now he's shifting to behind the people, and what's happening is it's nighttime when the sea splits. Isn't it funny that like in, in uh, like children's stories, it's always daytime. Everything always takes place in the daytime. You like forget that there's ever night, um, but it's nighttime. So the Red Sea crossing is taking place at night. I don't know how long it took them to travel through the sea. I don't know if it was a day journey, if it was a couple days. I don't know. All you need to know is this. For this particular message, all you need to know is this. When they started walking, it was night. And when they were done walking, it was day. That's all you need to know. So they're starting to walk, they're starting to walk through the sea, and the pillar of fire is lighting their way. But the pillar of cloud is behind them, going that way towards the Egyptians. How many of you have ever driven in fog at night? Yeah? 
Okay, what do you do or what should you do? Hopefully you did. You're still here, so that means you probably did. What did you do when you were driving at night in the fog? Were you going 60? <laughs> it's a miracle she's here, guys. <laughs> you probably slowed down substantially, right? Because you don't know, like, because, like, in the daytime, at least there's light that can reflect on the reflectors on the road. But, like, at night, there's no light. So you don't know where you're going, who's in front of you, what's happening. You probably don't see, like, a massive sea that just got split in two. Catch my drip. You probably don't see that in front of you. So they're just going. And they're probably not booking it because, again, it's, like, all of a sudden got super misty, foggy thing. And so now they're, like, slowing way down, but their commander-in-chief is with them, and he hasn't told them to stop, so they're going to keep going. So that's what's happened. God, who has gone before them by day, before this happened, before their enemy came from behind them, has now shifted because he's going to fight for them. He's now shifted to behind them and said, go, I've got your back. And so they start walking the Egyptians, again, are going after them. They haven't stopped. God is not going to let them stop. So they're going through the sea, and again, from this point on, I'm just going to kind of like breeze through it. But they're going through the sea, and what happens is, as Israel's walking through, uh, Egyptian is, the Egyptians are going after them. They're probably in the midst of the sea, and what starts happening is weird things starts happening to their equipment. Wheels start falling off, and... Confusion and chaos in the Egyptian army, Pharaoh's best, best horses, best chariots, best army men are now looking like amateurs. Their horses are freaking out. Again, chariot wheels, best chariots are now malfunctioning out of nowhere and all of this stuff. And so, again... Put yourself into the story and put yourself this time into Pharaoh's mind. Weird things start happening from out of nowhere. There's no explanation why tires are coming off. There's no explanation why great horses, your best horses, are now all of a sudden scared by the smallest thing. Why your men are just like losing their minds. There's no explanation. What did he just see in his own country? He just experienced things that didn't make sense. Blood and water. Blood turning completely to water. Locusts. Livestock dying out of nowhere. His son dead. Well, Pharaoh's pretty spooked. He knows exactly what's happening. And so, again, in scripture, it says, Pharaoh says, oh, the Egyptians say, well, we're not fighting those people. We're fighting their gods, so we're going to turn back around. And they decide to flee. Now, again, I love this because it's, it's a great illustration. So, again, they're walking through, and weird things start happening, and they go, nope. <laughs> and they go back this way. Okay. They go this way. I'm going to get my move goal. They go this way, and he goes, nope. Okay. Back this way. So they went. Who knows how far they got? They might have made it all the way across. But then they decided, things are getting weird. We're going to go back. So they went deeper into the ocean again. And all of the Egyptians have gone through. They went deeper into the ocean. So God tells Moses, stretch out your arms again. I'm going to make this ocean fall. You have 601, I'm assuming, because, again, Pharaoh's with them. All of these Egyptians bring the walls of, of water down. And everybody in, in Israel are across safely. That's what it looks like when, God's fight, when God fights for you. That doesn't make sense. Nothing about that makes sense in your head rationally. I don't know. It just doesn't. But it happened. Verse 28, it says, Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, 
and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. So I'm going to bring you back to what I talked about, that I will rescue you. I will rescue you, which is the promise that um, God gives to Moses to tell the children of Israel way back at his, before they've exited Egypt. He says, I'm going to rescue you from their bondage. I'm going to rid of and plunder. Verse 28 says, not so much as one of them remained. It goes on to say that the children of Israel had walked through dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were, uh, were a wall to them, to the right and to the left. Um, oh, verse 30. Israel saw Egyptians dead on the seashore. There were bodies coming up with the tide of their enemy, who a few verses ago, they were seriously probably considering surrendering to them and going back. That's It blows my mind. It blows, it absolutely blows my mind how the Lord can do that. Um, yeah, I just got to sit in that. The Lord, how many of us know, and we see this a lot in Scripture. When a, kid, when a kid drowns, not drowns, that's not a good word. When a kid falls into a pool and is drowning, what do you have to do typically? It's not always as simple as just pulling them out, putting them on the side, making sure they're safe and all is going to be well. Not every kid reacts to that well. Because then there's the fear that just got put into them. Because they felt helpless and out of control and didn't know what was going to happen to them. So a parent can't just pull a kid out of the ocean or out of the pool and put him on the side of the pool and just be like, okay, cool, and leave. Your kid's crying afraid. What do you have to deal with next? The fear. See, it wasn't enough for the children of Israel to just get pulled out of the house or, the, the, in this case, the country where they were being abused and mistreated and mocked and scoffed and all of those things. It wasn't enough to just pull them out. Then God had to deal with their hearts. Their hearts that were mistreated, used, and abused. There's an emotional aspect to that that affects your relationship with the Lord. It affects how we view Him. So He has to deal with it. He's not interested in it. We don't serve a God who does a halfway job. I heard a sermon once that said, the guy said that he heard or read somewhere that, that it would have been an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. Had nothing happened in between. It would have been 11 days. That's nothing compared to the fact that they spent at least 40 years in the wilderness. But the 40-year curse, curse hadn't been put on them yet at this point. So they spent over 40 years. An entire generation had to die off before they walked into the promised land for various other reasons. And we know, obviously, there's a journey. And there's stuff that happens that take place. Even Moses doesn't make it into the promised land. But, but I'm just saying... There's deliverance, which is bringing you out of. And then there's the rescuing part. There's the having to change the heart, having to change the mindset. Your heart has believed all of these. There has to be humans and about the Lord for all of these years, and there has to be a plundering. There has to be getting rid of. And the only way God can do that is by forcing that enemy to come after you, to make you go react ugly, to make you go, oh, wait. I'm not supposed to react like that anymore. I have to do something different. 
What's different from what I used to do before? When somebody used to talk to me with brash voice, I would shrink back and not say anything. I would hide. And so now the Lord's taking me on a journey of, okay, if we're going to have confrontation, then I can't just shrink back every time somebody makes me feel threatened. I need to use my voice. Do I need to match their pitch? No. But I need to say, time out. Things are getting a little heated. Can we bring it down a few notches? That's okay for me to say. And if they can't, then we'll figure it out from there. But those are the things that God has to work on with us. Because we're supposed to be transformed people. That's what he's doing with Israel here. He's transforming them. Because what do we do? You know that if Egypt, if he hadn't done that, anytime these people, I guarantee you they have PTSD. Anytime these people heard a horse or a chariot, they're probably going to go, oh, are they coming to get me? Now they're not looking over their shoulders anymore, right? So that's, what's, that's what the Red Sea is to me. Rick talked about our 10 core values, and initially I wasn't going to put a, a core value on this, but as I prepared this week, I realized, oh, okay, no, I think this is good. This has to do with freedom. The first part of the story is deliverance, getting deliverance. The second part of the story is inner healing. This Red Sea crossing is inner healing. Wounded people wound people. Guys, we live in a fallen world. You, could live the, you can try to live the safest life. I'm one of those people that thought I lived the safest life. I, protect, I guarded myself of so much hurt. I got stuff. I just do. Because it happens. And it needs to get worked on, and he wants to work on it with you. But sometimes, it's not your fight. Sometimes you swinging a sword at it and going, calling it the enemy and like, woo, is making it worse. Or you saying, God, take me out of this. I don't want to handle this anymore. I don't want to deal with this because it's hard and I'm tired. Well, you know, I heard once in a message, we serve too good of a father that he's not going to leave you without reaping all of the benefits that he wants you to reap. So if you want to be pulled out of a season, that's great but he'll probably put you back at start and he, okay, let's try again. A good parent doesn't just let their kid go, no, I give up. I'm not going to learn how to ride a bike. No, they put them back on the seat and say, okay, I got you. I'll hold you a little bit longer this time. Right? So another, are we good? You guys still with me? Sorry, I should have checked on you guys way sooner. I got into the story. We're almost done. I'm, I'm landing the plane. No worries. Um, another verse that has been just my, like, my rock in this season of life is um, Psalm 4610. Um, this, the translation that I'm going to read is, is very different. It's the Passion Translation. Um, but I just like the way it's worded. Um, and, I, and I'm going to draw parallel, and you're going to see you're going to see how this fits into the message. But in the Passion Translation, Psalm 46:10 says, "Surrender your anxiety. Be silent and stop your striving, and you will see that I am God." Okay, let's go back to verse 13 in Exodus chapter 14, when Moses says. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Okay? So, Exodus, do not be afraid. Psalm 46, surrender your anxiety. Exodus says, stand still. Psalm 46 says, be silent and stop your striving. Exodus says, and see the salvation of the Lord. And Psalm says, and see, and you will see, I am God. 
see how that works. Knowing in the Bible, whenever it says no, is not this. It's this. It's your heart. And in order for your heart to get it, you have to experience it. It's tangible. You have to see it. You have to feel it. You have to feel it. You have to hear it. Taste it. Smell it. It's experiential. You have to see that he is God. It's not enough to just read the stories and know their addresses and all of that in the Bible. Because I'm going to tell you guys right now, when you're out talking to people who don't know the Bible, that doesn't matter. They don't, I'm going to be blunt, they don't care that you know where John 3.16 is found. They don't. They don't they have a care in the world. If they don't love God and if they don't have conviction in their heart, they do not care that you know where those verses are. They don't. It has no matter to them. What they want to know, what's the heart behind the one who spoke that? Why did those old guys write that in that book? If you can't communicate that, probably should stop. We have to know these things. And sometimes in the midst of the season, you have to surrender. You have to let go of your fear. You have to stop your striving, and you have to see. One last story, and then we'll wrap this up. But again, it's, it's, it's one that um, has just kind of been... I don't know. It's been my thing. Um, It's Mark chapter 4. I don't remember the verses. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 4, Matthew 8. It's Jesus calming the sea, calming the storm. And again, I'm just going to like breeze through the the explanation. But in Matthew 8, what's happening when Jesus is in the boat sleeping is beforehand, he's done all of this ministry. He's cast out demons. He's healed people with like the touch of his hand or like a single word, like you're healed or like, here's my finger. Now you're healed. Like all these amazing things you would never imagine in a million years somebody could do. So all of this has taken place. And then on the other side of the, of the boat adventure, Jesus is going into the town where, um, Legion, the demon legion, or demons, however you want to phrase that. Legion, there was many of them, was cast out of the man and into the swine. So those are the two bookends to what happens where the storm takes place, okay? So what, what has just happened is they're in, so they've done all this stuff. They're in the boat. They're going through. A lot of commentaries will say that the storm that gets brewed up on the sea while they're in the boat is actually a demonically caused storm. Because, again, what's just happened and what's about to happen? Demons don't want that to take place. So they're trying to stir up some stuff, right? And the disciples get scared. And so they're, you know, they're, they're thinking the boat's going down. They're floundering. Oh, what's going to happen? And they go wake up Jesus. And they go, and, and why I also referenced Mark 4 is because in Mark chapter 4, that's when you hear this particular phrasing of the question, because how many of us know perspective is everything? The different guys heard different things. So in Mark, Mark heard somebody ask, or maybe he was the one that asked, teacher, don't you care that we're dying? Our boat's going down, and you're sleeping, and we're freaking out. What are you doing? And so Jesus like wakes up and says, peace, be still to the storm. And that's it. And the storm calms down. And then he says, you have little faith. Why why are you afraid? Not not you have little faith. He says, where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Jesus, we've heard it said that like they had faith, they tapped on Jesus' shoulder, whatever. The point of this that I'm trying to make with this is, why was Jesus asleep? Jesus was asleep 
because he knew his job wasn't done. He didn't need to be afraid. He still had a job to do. The storm isn't going to be his day, again, is what I used before. This is not his end. Try as you might, demons. Today's not my day. I heard in a sermon, somebody said this, and I've never heard a more accurate depiction of what we need today in this hour that we live. The world is looking for a people who can sleep in the boat. And it's not about ignorance. It's not about putting your head in the sand and just being like, nothing's happening, do, 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 do. No, no, no. It's about knowing who you belong to. Jesus knew who he belonged to, and more than that, he knew who, he, who that one called him to be and that he had a job to do that he hadn't finished yet. He knew what his death was going to look like, and that wasn't it. I'm not saying that you all need to go home and ask Jesus how you die. <laughs> what I'm saying is, what are your promises? Israel had promises. God was not only going to take them out of Egypt, he was going to rescue them and then take them into a land. What are your promises? What are your promises in your life? And hey, maybe you don't have prophetic words. Not everybody has prophetic words. I get it. Ask the Lord, what's your promise for me in this season? You feel anxiety coming up again, and you've dealt with it for the last little bit. You ask the Lord, hey, what's my promise in the midst of this as I walk through this? Because this old thing is coming up from my past. What can, what can I expect on the other end? You've got to stand. You've got to root yourself. The only reason Moses was able to say that before he knew it was about to happen is because he grounded himself. He buried himself in promises of the Lord, of who he knew God to be. I'm afraid right now? Well, fear's not in the Lord, so that's got to stop. So I'm going to close with this. I... I really felt a few things as I was praying this week um, that I want you to just consider and, and listen. I know it's 12, but you can sit and maybe ask people for prayer as you think about it. But I want you to sit and I want you to think about that thing, that thing that feels impossible to you right now, that thing that you're going through that feels like, I don't know how it's going to happen. And maybe, maybe you've heard from the Lord that you're supposed to do one thing. I know that there are a few things in my life right now that the Lord has called me into. And, and for the most part, I'm doing them. There's one in particular that I haven't completely, you know, done. Um, I'm still kind of stuck in the spot. Um, but think about those impossible things. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's ten. I don't know. But think about it. Ask the Lord which one he wants to address right now in this season. And for some people, I mean, like, like I said, while I was praying um, this week, the, the, there are a few things that came to mind um, were family members who don't know the Lord. Maybe you've been praying for that a lot. Um, um, again, my, my own personal one is finances, so that might be <laughs> why I heard um, well, I heard that one over and over again. Maybe, and I don't know, again, I don't know every, I mean, I know most of you in this room, but another one that I heard a lot was infertility. So if you have friends who, who are struggling, conceiving, um, or what, what have you, I heard a lot about promises for children. Um, so think of that person and maybe encourage them, call them today and pray with them, but the thing that I, I, I really want to stress is you don't have to fight. I have family members myself who, who aren't saved or maybe who were saved but aren't walking with the Lord. And it breaks my heart. And I've been praying for them for a long time. And I've gone through seasons of like heavy intercession. And then like right now I'm in a season of maybe not praying for them as much as I probably could or should. 
but it's it's showing up to them. The Lord, the Lord has ta- told me that. Asking the Lord, how do you do this? Do more than just pray for them. Go love on them. <coughs> go, go show them the love of God in whatever way that looks like. And again, that's asking and ask for a promise. Okay, how do I do this? And what's going to be the outcome? So just, I'm going to pray for you guys, but just think of what those things are those impossible things that the Lord is trying to tell you, stop. Stop trying to make this happen on your own. Stop. Let me do it. So I'm going to pray. So Lord, God, I thank you that you leave no stone unturned, that there is not a thing in our hearts There's not a thing that we wrestle with. Whatever it is, that God, you go deeper than the symptom. You go deeper than the symptom of our issue. It's not just the fear and the anxiety that I have family members going to hell or the fear and the anxiety that I don't have enough in my bank account to cover this, this, and this. Or the fear that I may never be a mom or a dad or any other fear. It's not just, that's just the symptom. But that you go to the heart of the issue. That you take care of our doubt and our fear. That you want nothing. You are such a jealous God. That you want nothing in between you and your beloved one and the lengths that you would go to handle that, to take care of that issue, to rid of that issue wholly and completely so that we never have to face it again, but that we can walk in victory as a transformed new creation, so that we can walk in the fullness of what you intended us to be. So, Lord, I ask that right now as all of these people in this room are thinking and you're bringing to their hearts and their minds what that impossible thing is, what that thing that feels like maybe they've said in their head, I'm never going to get over it. Or maybe they've said in their head, well, that's just who I am or that's just how life is for me. That thing that just keeps popping, its, just rearing its little head and it feels like it's the end of the world. God, right now, I ask that you would breathe, that you would breathe hope. Let hope rise in their hearts this morning. Let hope rise. Let faith rise. God, give them the grace to stand. Give them the grace to stand in their promise. Whatever promise that is, God, even if it's just your attributes, you promise to be good. You promise to be faithful. You are our protector. You are our rock. You are our provider. Give them grace to stand in that. Begin planting them in that ground right now as we speak. So that when the waves come, they will not be shaken. They will not be taken out to sea. I know that was a really long message to say this. I feel like the Lord is just saying, stand. Church, you've got to stand. Stand firm and believe that you serve a God who is going to fight for you. He's got this. And he's taking you by the by the he's taking his hands to your face and he's saying, You are okay. You're okay. Hey, I've got you. You're okay. You're okay. It's all right. It's going to be okay.
So Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are a dad who walks into our mess, who walks into our rooms when we're pacing back and forth and we're sobbing and we feel hopeless and helpless and we feel like our worlds are coming to an end and all seems lost. We thank you that you are a dad who walks into that space and says, hey, I've got you. Remember who you are. Hold on. I'm, I, I'm, gonna, I'm making a way. I'm making a way. He's already made that way. So we just thank you, Lord. And I ask that you would r- remind all of us in the coming days and weeks and maybe months and maybe years. I don't know. But would you be so kind as to remind us of that message? That you're right there, forward and move forward. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we have a couple of announcements. Michael's going to give. And then after his announcements, we're done.